Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. We were experiencing some technical difficulties there with our live broadcast. Uh, this is the live broadcast. You are listening to the uh, pre-recorded broadcast uh, that will be airing during this week. Uh, that's the backup in case something happens. And it worked. Glory to God. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with technology, sometimes things happen. Amen. Glory to God. But now I got less than 55 minutes to wrap up today's teaching for you before Sonny Primo comes on. And I don't want to tap into his time. Amen. So let's start with a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you praise, praise, honor, and glory for this technology that you've given us that we can reach the world with your gospel. Hallelujah. Touching people's hearts, changing their lives all across the face of this planet. Lord, your word goes forth and does not return to you void. Your word accomplishes what you please and it prospers where you send it. And we just rejoice that we're able to be part of your master plan. Be with this broadcast now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Quickly, let's go over our statement of faith. You know, the devil's a liar. He tried to shut us up this week. Somebody's going to hear something that they need to hear, and the devil didn't want that to happen. But praise God that his word works every time. Amen. Hallelujah. Join me in our confession of faith. Just repeat these words after me, and then we'll jump into our Bible study. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended up into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in, that the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the forgiveness of all sins. 
I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to save some time today, I'm not going to read uh, that much from the Bible, but I do want to start off with 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Now, we left off last time with their study of Elijah. We found him on the run. He was running for his life after Queen Jezebel had threatened him. Now, let's read from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had slain all of her prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make you make your life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now we studied last time that Jezebel had no power at all over Elijah. Not none, zero, nil. If she did, she would have sent a guard to kill him. But instead, she sent someone to scare him. A messenger. That's right, just a messenger. And Jezebel, remember, she was the one who fed all of these prophets during the drought. The false prophets during the drought. Right from her table or her provisions. These were her people, her prophets. And she was using them to maintain her influence over the people. We know that Ahab was just a token figure because, you know, when he came home pouting and crying that he couldn't have that field next to his uh, castle, she sent and had the guy killed and gave him the field. Said, aren't you the king? You know, let me take care of this. So she was really the one running the show. But... Elijah had shown that her God was a weak God. He killed all of her prophets. It was going to be almost impossible now for her to maintain control. So she figured she would have Elijah killed, and that would show everyone that she was in control and not Elijah. And that would mean that the Lord was not powerful enough to protect his prophet. The only problem was she couldn't kill him. And the worst part of all this is Elijah knew she had no power to kill him. He knew the king had no power over him. But the devil always tries to push the right button on God's people. You know what I'm talking about. You know it's true. Amen. The devil found a way to get to Elijah. And it was pride. And we started to cover this last time. We studied how Elijah was personally responsible for the slaughtering of up to 850 of Jezebel's prophets. The prophets of Baal. With the sword. One on one. We studied how gruesome that scene would have been. How much blood was flowing and body parts laying all around. And people moaning and screaming as they died in agony. And that blood had to be all over Elijah, all over his clothing. When he received the message from Jezebel, he started to think about what it would be like to be killed by her. It would be a slow, torturous death. I mean, she had all the palace guards at her disposal. To kill 850 prophets with the sword was one thing, but to take on the entire palace guard... It would take an act of God to beat them. 
<coughs> Hello? But Elijah wasn't looking to God to help him anymore. What did you say, Brother Bob? Well, let me say it again. Elijah was not looking for God to be his help anymore. If he was believing God was going to help him against any enemy, if he was standing on the revelation he had received three and a half years during the drought, when his daily provision was being met in spite of the drought, if he would have thought back how to God raise the dead boy back to life just because Elijah asked him to. If he would have pondered any of these miracles, his faith would have grown to the point where instead of, you know, it, it have stood out in the town square calling on the townsfolk to come help him. You know, the, the ones who were just worshiping God, yelling out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He'd have called them to come help him and would have had this mob walking over to the castle and then he yelled up at Jezebel, you want a piece of this too? Come on down. But instead of asking God, and, and folks, this is the most important part you need to understand. Instead of asking God, what do you want me to do here, Lord? Instead of doing that, Elijah just took off. And just the day before, he had seen the word God had put into his heart, and we studied last time how God must have shown him what to do. I mean, he, he saw himself, I mean, what we just seen him do, calling fire down from heaven and with the, the altar and all that, he couldn't have thought that up on his own. So God must have shown him what to do. He's seen himself challenging the prophets of Baal to a duel. He's seen himself calling fire down from heaven. He's seen himself turning the people of Israel back to the Lord. He saw himself killing those prophets. He even told the Lord, let the people know that I've done these things at your word. He'd already seen these things in his heart. He, he said and heard the sound of the abundance of rain when there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. What I want you to see is the same ability to see what God says on the inside can also work in reverse. You can see both the positive and negative things in your heart. The truth is that most of us tend to look at the negative. Elijah saw himself after Jezebel's note as being dead, which is why he fled. And although Jezebel desired to kill Elijah, she had no power to do so. If she had any power to kill him, she would not have sent a messenger. She would have sent a palace guard to kill him on the spot. If Jezebel truly intended to kill Elijah at that moment, she would have done so without sending him a messenger, giving him a note, in effect giving him warning to get out of town. So in reality, she was trying to intimidate Elijah, and it worked. Ahab had tried the same thing at the beginning of chapter 18, but Elijah resisted that bait. He simply rejected it and turned around on Ahab, remember? You know, he said, oh, you're the one who's been troubling Israel. He said, no, you are the problem in Israel. Your greatest temptations will often come 
immediately after your greatest victories. Just remember that, amen? For example, success is often harder to handle than failure. What do you mean by that, Brother Bob? Well, just think about it for a second. Although it's true, many people don't really believe it. They say things like, well, what's really on the inside of you comes out when you're squeezed. Well, actually, it's just the opposite. Your true character is revealed in those times of success. When you are under the gun and it looks impossible, it looks like this is it. I mean, I may even die this time. It's really, really easy to seek the Lord. When everything is bad and getting worse, and there's no other options but to trust God, unless God comes through, you're through. Most people who have any commitment, any relationship with the Lord, will seek Him during the hard times. But where most people are destroyed is during times of prosperity. You'll find out what is really in someone when there's no pressure on them. When everything's going just fine and it looks like it's going to get even better. You can tell more about a person's character in times of prosperity, blessings, and abundance than you can in times of adversity. And you know I'm right. When everything's going good, we tend not to be as God-dependent as when they are going bad. That's why the most, we're, we're the most vulnerable when things are going good. We tend to become more self-reliant when things are going great. And that is what happened to Elijah. In Kings, 1 Kings 19, verse 3 and 4, when Elijah heard that, he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there, but he himself went another day's journey into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he could die. He just wanted to give up and said, It's enough now, O Lord. So that's it. I can't take any more. Just take my life. For I am no better than my fathers. Now listen to me. Think about this. If Elijah really wanted to die, he would have stayed right where he was at and just let Jezebel come and kill him. Think about it. The same thing is true for us today. We can get into this state of self-pity and say things like, it never works out for me. Things never go my way and stupid stuff like that. The Charlie Brown syndrome. You know what I'm talking about. But we know in our hearts that what we're saying just isn't so. Elijah was praying, take my life. I'm no better than my fathers are or were. The truth was, he really didn't want to die. He was just in a pity party. Now here's, listen to this statement though. It reveals a lot about his state of mind. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. This actually says a lot about what Elijah was thinking about. After this great victory, he thought he was the one who did it. He got a big head. He started to believe there was not anyone like him in the land. He thought he was it. 
And we can read right here that he thought, this is, this is the thoughts going through, he thought he was better than anybody who had ever come before him, any of his forefathers. Because he'd done things that nobody else had ever done. He had called for the drought, and God answered. There had been droughts before, but none like this one. Nobody had ever raised the dead before. But God answered him when he asked God to do it. Nobody had ever called fire down from heaven before. But God did it when he asked him to do it. Nobody had ever killed 850 of the king's choicest men while the king just stood by and watched. But he did it, and he thought he was someone special until Jezebel disrespected him. And then he snapped back into reality and began to doubt his own abilities and began to dwell in the land of self-pity. Elijah told God, I'm the only one left. Now, where did he get that from? He chose to ignore what Obadiah had told him. Or he thought, well, they're not really true prophets like me. Nobody has ever served God like I have. Elijah began in chapter 17. But at the time, he was totally God-dependent. He started out totally trusting in and relying on God to work through him. But somewhere along the way, he saw success after success after success. And actually, he started to move his identity and move his confidence away from God and started to trust in himself. And folks, that's not hard to do. It is easy to be God-dependent when you're struggling and things aren't working out and there's nothing you can do about it except trust God. And the only thing you can do is just hang your faith out there for all to see and watch God work. Give Him the credit. But then there comes the time when it's going so well. Suddenly it is, hey, watch me do this, or watch me do that. Instead of, hey, watch God, it becomes, watch me. Be careful with that. Elijah fell because he had transferred his faith and confidence from God to himself. That's why he failed, and that's why he fled. You need to learn this lesson by yourself or for yourself by experiencing it through Elijah, through his eyes, through his mind, through his emotions, through the word of God that we're studying. So you don't have to experience it for yourself. Amen. Let me repeat that. You need to learn this lesson for yourself by experiencing it through Elijah. That's what I've been setting up this entire, this is now the sixth week. This is what I've been setting up. Amen. That you don't have to experience what Elijah did personally. You can live it through him so you can see the warning signs as they're coming. Amen. Glory to God. Elijah was so strong in the faith that he would walk right up to the king and defy him in his face. 
trusting God to keep him safe. He defied the king. He defied the king's armies. He defied the prophets of Baal. But the threat of one woman with no power made him run for the hills. Why? Because he had taken his faith and his confidence away from God. The Lord, who could protect him, and he transferred it into his own ability, his own power, his own might, and the things he had done, and then realized he wasn't all that after all. I'm amazed at how many people think that the longer we're with the Lord, the stronger and more anointed we become. We think that somehow or another we are improving year after year that goes by, but this is simply not the case. The truth, the truth is really, it's the exact opposite. If we are seeing greater manifestations of God in our lives, greater joy, greater power, greater freedom, and so forth, then the truth is, we are becoming more and more dependent on Him. Amen? But even though we're more focused on God and we can hear Him better, our flesh never improves. Our flesh is still flesh. And the moment we start to trust in our flesh, in our own ability, is the moment we begin to get into trouble. Amen? And that's exactly what happened to Elijah. He was never better than his fathers. When he called fire down from heaven, it wasn't because he was holier than any of his fathers or any other men. No! It was because he was totally trusting in God. As soon as Elijah took some time to ponder the things God had done through him, he started to listen to the devil, telling him, whispering in his ear, Man, you are great. You are awesome. Look at this stuff you did. Ain't nobody else done stuff like you. You are so awesome, Elijah. Everybody needs to respect you. Just go back to town wearing these bloody clothes and let rumor go start spreading through about how you single-handedly killed 850 of Jezebel's prophets. Whether or not that's true, I, don't, I doubt it because he had all the people on his side. But the devil's whispering his ear, man, you did it. You are, man, you are something, Elijah. Don't let nobody ever tell you otherwise. Man, God holds you out special, Elijah. And Elijah started to fall for it. That began his downfall. Remember, Scripture says pride goes before a fall. And here we see pride swelling up in Elijah. He was heading straight for failure the moment he started thinking, man, I've done things nobody's ever done before. It just so happened it was a powerless woman with a little note that triggered his collapse. If it would not have been her, it would have happened some other way. There's no other way he could avoid it. So Elijah Hits the road. He's on the run. He winds up leaving his assistant behind and just keeps on running. He probably told us something like, look, if you hang around with me, you'll be dead too. So head back home, find a job, raise a family. Don't tell anyone you know me because I'm as good as dead. And so he runs out into the desert places. 
Getting tired and exhausted, he decides to take a nap from the heat of the sun under a juniper tree. That's where God sends his angel to talk to him. He knows he needs nourishment. He just fought a huge battle. The whole thing lasted all day. And then he ran a couple of days without eating anything. So at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5-9, through 9, it says, As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat! And he looked, and there was a cake baked on coals and a cruise of water at his head. So he ate, drank, and then laid back down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him, saying, Rise and eat! The journey you're going on is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and then went in the strength of that meal forty days and forty nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he came there into a cave and lodged in the cave. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here? Elijah. Notice the question God asked Elijah. What are you doing here? See, Elijah was here, not there. He wasn't at his there place. We've been talking about your place called there. And Elijah was not there. He was here. And here is not where God needed him to be. Elijah had sparked basically the first revival in the history of the Bible. He'd done miracles nobody had ever accomplished when he was there. But here, God couldn't use him. They were having revival over there in Samaria. But the guy that God used to get it going was not there. Instead of rejoicing and leading the people back to the Lord, Elijah was here. Not there, he was here hiding out and complaining. Within 48 hours or so of seeing fire from God fall from heaven just because Elijah asked for it, and a prayer to end the drought, and it started to rain just because Elijah asked for it, Elijah was here, not there. He was here, depressed, discouraged, and in hiding, asking God to kill him. Why? Well, he said in verse 4, because I'm no better than my father's. You see, he had gotten a big head, thinking he was better than anyone, anyone that had ever lived before him, that everybody would be afraid of him now. They'd give him respect. He'd be in a position of authority, probably an advisor to the king. He had big dreams. Instead, he was disrespected by the queen. There's no way he'd be appointed as advisor to Ahab now. She said she'd kill him. There's no way he could be a person of influence publicly now. His father's never had to face anything like this. He was no better than his father's that were before him. And instead of letting them kill me, God, I want you to kill me. And then he tells God in verse 10, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And now I am the only one left. And they're seeking me to take my life away. Notice we told God, I've done everything you 
told me to do. But they, talking about the children of Israel, but they don't respect you the way I do. They reject your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. Now they're trying to kill me. And instead of letting them kill me, I present myself to you so you can kill me. Actually, nobody was out to kill Elijah, except one woman who had no power to do so. Period. Everyone else would have helped Elijah. They were ready to return and serve the Lord God. Revival had come. But Elijah couldn't see it. Amen. Elijah was defeated mentally. He was depressed. He was living in defeat mentally. He was in full retreat, thinking they were chasing him. But there wasn't anybody out there. Instead of admitting to God that he'd missed it, he was telling God, it's all these other people that missed it. Look at what they have done. I'm the only one left. It's just you and me. So let's just call it quits, God. This same attitude is prevalent in our society today. People do not want to take responsibility for their actions. Amen? They blame everything and everyone for all of their problems. They'll always have excuses, but it will hardly ever point back to them. Amen? Elijah also knew deep down he wasn't the only one left serving God. He knew Obadiah had hidden with another hundred prophets in caves. He was feeding them and protecting them. But Elijah didn't want to admit it to himself or to God that he was the problem and not other people. So the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, Okay, Elijah, I want to show you something here. Go outside and stand on the mountain before me. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind ripped the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire either. After the fire, there was a still, small voice, basically a whisper. Elijah had started off listening to this still small voice and having a relationship with God. He was a nobody who God was talking to. Amen. Nobody knew him. Nothing dramatic ever happened. Then the Lord spoke a word into his heart concerning a drought and that he was to go and tell of the king. And that started the ball rolling for the next three and a half years. He walked daily with the Lord. He had seen how the Lord provided for him in the simple things. And he progressed to the spectacular. Amen. He moved from being quiet and intimate with the Lord and completely dependent on the provision of God. It can be hard to handle seeing the fire of God fall from heaven at your command consume the sacrifice, and spark a great nationwide revival? Oh man, it can't get any better than that. What greater thing can God do? Some people ask. When preachers are used by God to do something miraculous, it usually ruins them in this day and age. 
they become bored after that. I've heard ministers talk about the glory of God like it just happened yesterday. And when you ask them, wow, when was this? What meeting was this in? They'll tell you August of 1954 or something like that. 1954? You say, yeah, them were the days. But nothing's happened in their church since. They've gotten bored. Instead of putting a demand on the anointing to keep these works going, they figure, well, it'll never be like those days again. Nope, those days are over. The Lord sent an awesome wind, earthquake, and a consuming fire. All of these are dramatic, spectacular things. But it says God was not in any of them. God manifested himself to Elijah just as he always had in a still, small voice. He was telling Elijah, come back to me in humility and intimate relationship. He is saying, Elijah, you've gotten away from this. This is what made you into who you are and who you can be. It is what made the things you did happen just listening to me. Yet, you've got away from them. And in doing so, you've gotten away from me. When Elijah had started out in the ministry, he had nothing going for him in the natural. He was not trained to be a prophet. He was not a member of the royal family. He was not in any lineage of the priesthood. Nothing except he had a word from God and acted on it. That is what he had going for him. Amen? He's seen God use him even in ways that God had not even used Moses. Moses opened the Red Sea. Yep, okay, that's easy. Get God to send fire down from heaven there, Moses. Then maybe we can talk. You'll see his big ego, how big it had become. In verses 11 and 12, the Lord did all these dramatic things, but says he wasn't in any of them. He was the still, small voice. You will never get beyond this point, ever. You must always stop and listen to see what God is saying in any situation that you find yourself in. Amen? In verse 13, God spoke again to Elijah in the still, small voice and asked him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Now, God had asked him the same question way back in verse 9. As you know, and you heard me say before, it's not often the Lord will repeat himself. If he does so, you better pay attention. And when he frames it in the form of a question, and you've already given him your answer, and he has to ask you the question again, you better think about the answer you gave. Because the answer you gave before is wrong. Amen? Think about your teachers in school. You're called upon to give an answer to a particular question, which you should know. Bob, what's 2 plus 3? You say, uh, 6. The teacher says, Bob, what's 2 plus 3? Emphasizing the question again. If you stick with your answer, you're going to be held accountable and would be marked wrong. The teacher is giving you a chance to think about the correct response. And if you say five, there will be rejoicing. Amen? 
Or at least there's a that's correct type of statement. But if you persist when the teacher says no, plus 2 plus 3 is not 6. And you keep telling the teacher, no, I'm right, you're wrong. There's going to be a penalty that needs to be paid, amen? Or if God must repeat himself in asking you a question, and you persist in giving a wrong answer, in many instances, God will just remain silent. He won't say anything until you get it right. Look at the life of Abraham as an example. When he and Sarai came up with a plan to use Hagar to mother a child, God did not speak to him for 13 years. You do not want to go 13 years without God speaking to you in this day and time. Amen? And this is what Elijah does. He persists in giving the same answer again. Look at verse 14. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Same answer. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Same answer. The children of Israel have thrown down your altars. Same answer. The children of Israel have killed your prophets with the sword. Same answer. And I, even I, only am left. Same answer. And now they seek my life to take it. Same answer. But he was wrong the first time, and he's wrong this time. The Lord finally had to tell Elijah in verse 18, there are still 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Wow, think about this. If Elijah would have stayed, he'd have had 7,000 followers almost instantaneously. He'd have his own army. And they'd be the army of prophets and the army of the Lord. Anytime you think you're the only one left serving God, you are on dangerous ground, my friend. You've moved into a form of pride and a form of arrogance, thinking that you are somebody and that you have something that nobody else has. And it's never true. Not for me, not for you. Amen. So God then told Elijah to do three things. I want you to see this. One was to get his replacement. I believe God would still use Elijah. But his days were numbered because he was so depressed and because pride had popped his bubble. Amen? Just like God to go to plan B in appointing David to be king of Israel after Saul. Because Saul got away into pride and arrogance. I see God removing the calling from Elijah and placing it on his replacement, Elisha. And even though David worked out great accomplishing God's plan B, he still was not the first choice. Well, Brother Bob, it was because when God appointed Saul, David was too little and too young to be king. Well, that's true. But the things God had David to do, he never told Saul to do. It was not until Saul had been king a while that David had grown up a little that David is brought on the scene and anointed king by Samuel. And even then, he did not immediately assume the throne. But through all the trials and tribulations David went through, totally relying on God, he became the man of God that God needed on the throne at that time for his people. Amen? And it's the same way here for Elijah and Elisha. I believe Elisha was God's original plan all along. Why is that, Brother Bob? Because God knows the future from the beginning. 
Just as he knew Adam would fall and there would be a need for Jesus to be the sacrifice for all of mankind's sins, he also knew it would be Elisha that would fulfill everything God needed done. If Elijah would have continued in the ways of God, maintaining a close, intimate relationship with God and doing what he had told him to do, he could have gone on and done great things that would have moved the nation of Israel to new and better heights in serving God. But that's not how it turned out, is it? Elisha simply fulfilled what God had commanded Elijah to do, in addition to the things which God had planned for Elisha to accomplish. You can see this as we keep studying. The things which Elisha did were credited to him. Elijah could have accomplished and was supposed to accomplish the same things. Amen. Let's look at what God told Elijah to do. These are three very important things. He said, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you come there, remember there's your place called there. Anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Then Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abelimeloah, you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. And it shall come to pass. I absolutely love that phrase. Let him that escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will slay. Him that escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall slay. For yet I have 7,000 people in, in all of Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. And upon hearing these words, Elijah got back up, made his way, but he only did one of the three things that Elijah had told him, to, or that God had told Elijah to do. He went, found Elisha, and anointed him to be his replacement and never did the other two things God had told him needed to be done prior, prior to bringing Elisha on the team. God gave three very specific things to do in order. But Elijah just skipped two-thirds of them, went straight to the last one because it concerned him. Can you still see Elijah's attitude here? It's all about him. Amen. He was basically telling God, I am so out of here. I am so tired of take, doing all this stuff that nobody appreciates. I'm, either, I'm ready to either die or retire. But God, I'm done. I quit. Basically, Elijah anointed his successor, Elisha, and quit. That's what I read. How do you read it? One more proof? There's only a couple of things after this that Elijah is even recorded of in Scripture. When Ahab killed Naboth in 1 Kings 21, Elijah shows up and prophesied destruction over Ahab and Jezebel. Then Ahab's son, Ahaziah, sent soldiers to kill Elijah in 2 Kings 1. Well, being used to calling fire down from heaven, that's what Elijah did, and it consumed 102 men. But this wasn't God's perfect will for Elijah. We know this because Jesus rebuked the disciples in the New Testament for trying to do the same thing. 
If Christ had physically been there, there's that place called there, with Elijah, he would have probably rebuked Elijah as well. We can safely assume God was still speaking to him in that still small voice. But Elijah wasn't hearing him. Not by this time. I'm not saying Elijah sinned in doing this. But obviously we can ensure from the New Testament that this was not God's best. After Elijah anointed Elisha to take his place, you don't hear very much about Elijah after this. Because that was basically the end of his ministry. Elijah never did go and anoint the two people God had commanded him to make kings. His disobedience to God cost innocent people their lives. What do you mean, Brother Bob? How's that? All right, let's consider this as just one example. God told Elijah to anoint Jehu as king over Israel, but he didn't do it. Ahab and Jezebel in 1 Kings 21 wanted a vineyard that belonged to a man named Naboth. When Naboth wouldn't sell it to the king, Jezebel devised a plan, basically setting Naboth up under false charges and had him killed. In those days, if someone had committed a crime against the king, not only were they killed, their property was confiscated as well. And that's what happened here. Jezebel came back, told Ahab, go and take the vineyard. Naboth is dead. It belongs to you now. If Elijah would have been obedient to God, this would not have happened. He would have anointed Jehu as king. Okay, all right. Turn to 2 Kings chapter, uh, I believe it's 9. You can read it. I'm, I'm not going to go through it all. But when Elisha finally did what Elijah was supposed to do in anointing Jehu king, look at what happened. Jehu immediately left the room, got on a horse, rode straight to Samaria, and killed the son of Jezebel, the son of uh, Ahab and Jezebel, Ahaziah. Killed Jezebel. Killed all of Ahab's relatives. Ahab had already died in battle sometime before this. As Jehu took over the king, he deceived all of the remaining Baal worshippers in the nation, which had begun to increase again since Elijah had let the revival die off. Jehu tricked them all into holding a massive gathering to honor Baal. Then he closed the gates and ordered his army to kill every one of them. Now if Elijah would have anointed Jehu king like God had told him to do, Ahab and Jezebel would have been dead. Naboth would not have been killed. The death of Naboth was actually a direct result of Elijah failing to do what God told him to do. Therefore, Elijah was responsible for Naboth's death. Amen. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Glory to God. As Jehu took over the kingdom, he did God's will. But he did not know he was to be king doing God's will until Elisha came to him. If Ahab would have done it a year earlier, we don't know how many thousands of people might have had their lives spared. 
You know, I've heard people in the ministry testify all the time. They believe they were not God's primary choice in doing the things they were told to do. But since somebody else failed to do what God told them to do, God came to them and they were quick to obey. But they realized somebody else should be doing this. I've said before, in our radio network, especially with this new station, Evangelism Radio, we are designed to be live 24-7. And we have that capability as a plug. If you are called into live broadcast ministry, go to evangelismradio.com and look at what we have available for you. Then contact our ministry using the contact form, and we'll get an information packet right out to you. Amen. Anyway... Get back on track. I know somebody else was told to develop this station with these very specific parameters that we have. And the Lord basically told me that when we were running into problem after problem in development of this station, I was thinking, well, maybe we can do it differently and not live with telephone calling capability and all that. When I started thinking that way, the Lord was quick to speak to me. And I'll never forget it either. He said, nobody else is doing the things I have told you to do. You are developing something nobody else has. You will be the only one until word gets out. If you do what I tell you, rely on me to get you over the rough spots. I know how to make it work. If you'll just listen to me and stick with it, it'll be well worth it in the end. Uh, you may not believe me, but that's okay. But just two days later, all the problems were worked out. And we jumped right into beta testing. Amen. And again, go to evangelismradio.com for more information on that, okay? But I asked God, why are you picking me to do all this? And his answer was, you were not my first choice. You're just the first one to obey. Amen. That'll humble you real quick. Amen. You need to realize that God has never had anybody yet who is qualified working for him. The Lord is not using you because you're so perfect and holy and have it all together. If you remember that, it'll prevent you from getting into this Elijah syndrome of having a big head. Amen. God uses us because we're available and willing. That's it. We just need to fully trust in him. And he'll make sure all the little pieces of the puzzle come together. He'll initiate what seemingly look like innocent encounters that eventually fit into a big picture puzzle. And you'll be able to look back and see how God was orchestrating everything. Even when you were not paying attention, God was still there, amen. The moment you think God is using you because you're better than everybody else or you're the only one, you are no longer useful to God. He's not going to lift you up above him. God could easily raise somebody else, somebody else up to do his work instead of you. But it is only by God's grace that he has called you to help him. Amen. Whether or not he promotes you any further depends on how you respond to certain things. If Elijah would have humbled himself when God tested him, I believe the Lord would have restored him to his office and great things would have been accomplished by Elijah because he and Elisha could have split up the workload. But that's not what happened. Amen. God loves us, folks. 
And it's by his grace that he's called any of us into ministry. Amen. It is his grace that has given us whatever gifts of the Spirit we walk in. Your gifts and your callings are by his grace. They are not based upon your performance. You can read this for yourself in Romans 11 verse 29. But as far as your God-giving sphere of influence, that is dependent on a lot of things you have no control over. If you've been proven to be a person God cannot trust, you will never be promoted. That doesn't mean you cannot be promoted at some point in time. It'll only be when you show God you can be trusted. We have a religious system in place in society that can promote people all by itself, being churned out every year in cemetery. I mean seminary. Some folks make it to the top. They get on radio and on TV and they become famous. But they were not put there by God. The Lord doesn't promote someone who's not going to actually represent him. If you fall into this Elijah system and end up failing your test, all is not lost. Thank God. I've failed a couple times. But you must be quick to repent and get back on track. Don't wallow in your failures. Turn your failures into victory. Amen. If you persist in continuing in your arrogance, you could actually decrease not only your ministry, but your faith, your life. Faithfulness is important to God. He rewards faithfulness. He has a perfect plan for everyone. And that's to be totally dependent on him for everything, independent from our performance. Elijah was such a man who did such great things for God, but yet he failed big time. When God spoke to him in a clear, audible voice, how many of you have had that experience? Elijah refused to still do two out of the three things he was commanded. How arrogant can you be? He just walked out on God. He quit. He walked out. When Elisha said, hey, let me go honor my parents with a sacrifice before I leave, Elijah's like, do whatever you want to do. I've, I've done my part. You do what you want to do. He just up and walked out. But he walked out still with God. Such an extent, God took him straight to heaven via a chariot. He never seen death. Amen. You can read in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, how all this occurred. I'm not going to read all the scriptures for sake of time. I'm just going to summarize it here for you. Elijah tried to depart from Elijah three different times. But Elijah just held on to the prophet and wouldn't let him go. Elijah had this concept that Elijah possessed way back in the beginning. He was going to be there. Remember this place called there again. Elisha was going to be there, and that there was wherever Elijah was. Elisha knew what was going to happen to Elijah and refused to stay here. He was going there because his place was there at Elijah's side up to the end, not somewhere else. Elisha was never rebuked the way Elijah was by God. We do not see the failure in Elisha's life like we've seen in Elijah's life. Elisha performed literally twice as many miracles as Elijah, but yet he wasn't translated into heaven. He actually died. Scripture records he died sick. 2 Corinthians 13, 
uh, I'm sorry, 2 Kings 13, 14, and 20, 21. Now Elisha came to pass as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the grave of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched Elisha's bones, he revived and stood up on his feet. Glory to God. Even though Elisha died of sickness, his anointing was still so strong in his bones that when a dead man just touched his bones, he was revived. Amen. I don't understand how there could be that kind of anointing still on Elisha's bones that he could raise a dead man. And yet still he died of sickness. But that's not my place to understand these things, nor is it yours. It belongs to God. Amen. Uh, we're, we're up against time for the live broadcast right now. I'm almost done. So those of you listening to the live broadcast, you're going to hear the fade out and you're going to go to Pastor Sonny Primo's broadcast here in a second. I encourage you to listen to the rebroadcast of this and you'll get this last 10 minutes or so that I'm going to keep going uh, from this point on. I'm just going to keep going till it's complete so the recording is complete. Amen. But... Let me quickly summarize what we learn in our study of Elijah. I've always been a student of Elijah. I began studying his life when I first entered the ministry, preaching from the stories of Elijah, and you never stop learning, amen? First, any person can be used by God to change his or her world around them. Any one of us can be used by God so don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Amen. Second, you must be faithful to do the first word the Lord gave you before he will give you the next word. Third, God will always send his provision for your life to a place called there. That's where he wants you to be. If you, do not, if you decide not to go there, your provision is still there and you're going to miss it. Fourth, this place called there could change. You must always remain in a state of constant communication with the Lord to know when your there changes and where it moved to. Fifth, Elijah was not taking from the widow when he asked for her last bit of food. He was putting her in a position of receiving from the Lord. As a minister, when we ask for you to sow into our ministry, it's not to get your last dollar. It's to try and get the money into your hands. But honoring the man or woman of God with your provision, you provide for us and for God's work that we're doing, this will then put you into a position where God can trust you and you'll soon find yourself receiving more and more provision. Do not doubt, just believe. Sixth, be bold like Elijah. When you know who you have in you, you don't have to be afraid of anyone anywhere. Amen. Seventh, Elijah was intimidated by a note from one woman. He pondered her words for his life instead of the word of life, which God has spoken for him. So focus on what God says. Amen. Eight, after great success comes great temptations. Be ready for them. Success is often a greater obstacle to doing the work of God than the hardships are. Ninth, don't be deceived into thinking you're the only one serving the Lord. You're not. Tenth, we can miss God if we are only looking for the miraculous. Stop. Listen for the still, small 
voice of God and allow Him to guide you. Eleventh, when God speaks the same question to you a second time, do not be hasty to answer. He's telling you your previous answer was wrong, and He wants you to get it right. If you still do not know the answer, ask God to show it to you. Repent for missing it. Get back on the program. Twelfth, when God spoke to Elijah in an audio vo audible voice, he still chose to disobey. God told Elijah to do three specific things, and he only did one, the one that dealt with him. Keep the focus off of you and keep on doing what God says to do. Amen? Thirteen, despite Elijah's failures, he still walked with God to such an extent that God translated him into heaven. And that gives all of us hope. Amen. Even when we miss it, we can still have hope in God that our salvation is secure through Jesus Christ. Amen. And we don't have to do a thing for it. As long as we are in him, in Christ, we can still be translated to heaven at the end of our life. And this is the point where I ask you, to consider your place in life right now. If you do not have the relationship with God, I want to introduce you to your Savior, your King, right now. You can then have the assurance that no matter what else happens in your life, whether it's tonight, tomorrow, next week, next year, whenever, whatever, you will be with Jesus when your time on earth is over. And it doesn't matter if you're 7, 77, or 107, amen. You can still make that decision right now. Hallelujah. Just pray this prayer with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you this day. Father, I repent of my sin. All of it. I plead the blood of Jesus that was shed on that cross. I plead the blood that wipes out every sin, every iniquity from my life forever in your eyes. Hallelujah. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you. You and Jesus are making your abode in me now. And that I have been reborn. Glory to God. I have been reborn in the image of Christ who's in the image of God. I am now your child, Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, order my steps. Lead and guide me. Forgive me for when I miss it. Speak to me with that still, small voice. And I believe I have ears to hear and a heart to perceive that I may once again be used by you to spread your gospel. And Lord, I just thank you for supernatural provision. Glory to the Most High God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, I need you to email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. I want to rejoice with you. Amen. If you need a Bible, your own Bible to read, let me know and I'll mail you out your very own Bible free of charge. I'll even pay the postage on it. Amen. Go visit our website at ftfm.org and look around. There's a lot of important things there. Visit our online radio stations, evangelismradio.com.
or just go to the network web- website at FTF Radio Network. I'll spell out F T F for Freedom Through Faith. F T F R then Radio Network together. Okay. Dot com. FTFRadioNetwork.com and look around there as well. Well, folks, next time we got a new study. I'm excited about it. If you've been excited about this Elijah broadcast, email me and let me know. Brother Bob at FTFM.org. Amen. Till next time, folks, this is Pastor Robert Tiller reminding you God loves you. We love you. We pray for you each and every day. You're never going to go another day without prayer as a partner with this ministry. And to be blessed in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.